there's never been a better time to start planning your career's trajectory. With LSU's online engineering programs, you can equip yourself with the skills to move forward in your career. Their degrees are 100% online and designed for working professionals balancing life's responsibilities. LSU Online offers multiple engineering degrees and certificates with focuses in industrial, civil, healthcare, petroleum, and transportation. They also offer affordable flat rate tuition nationwide. That's just one of the many reasons U.S. News ranks LSU Online as one of the best online programs for a master's in engineering. Visit online.lsu.edu slash podcast to learn more and receive a code to waive the application fee. This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Welcome to Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm Michael Hughes, and today Devana Pilchik of CentOS is going to teach us how to build an army from the ground up to exponentially increase the effectiveness of your ergonomics program. She'll also let us know how a little bit of dumpster diving helps. Devana, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing down there in Savannah or are you still in Pooler? Uh, it's Pooler, but we're just like the little offshoot of Savannah. So we say Savannah because no one knows where Pooler is. Gotcha. Understood. <laughs> So I really understood exactly what you did back when you were at Gulfstream because I visited the plant down there. You know, you you all got plants that build big old airplanes, so ergo human factors, engineering, it all fits. But CentOS does uniforms. Why do they need you? Well, I think every company needs a me if you're big and you've got human beings working in it. Um, so CentOS, yeah, they, they're primarily a, a uniform rental company. Um, that's what we're known for. If you see the big, pretty white trucks that they sent us. That's primarily what we do. Um, but we also have other divisions where we have a um, fire division. So for instance, you go in to get your uh, food at uh, maybe a restaurant, fast food place or something, the sprinkler systems, the fire extinguishers, all those are uh, often um, serviced by uh, CentOS. And then we also have a first aid and safety division um, where we offer uh, training uh, for you know safety training. Um, and we do other services like the AED boxes and things like that for uh, companies. So we, we do more than just uniforms. Cool. So today we're planning on talking about the three keys to ergonomic success, which um, have been replicated in a lot of places. You do a lot of stuff at Gulfstream. One thing that I've always been impressed with when when I've done stories for IC Magazine, when I've talked to people, Gulfstream, Coca-Cola, Michelin, a lot of others, they're just happy to be able to go and do their job and they get home at the end of the day and they're not in agony and pain mm-hmm. because of ergonomics interventions. So tell me how you accomplish that. The short answer is you've got to build an army. Uh, It's hard when you've got a staff that's small. And most companies, if they're lucky to have an ergonomic staff, it's little. Um, You've got big companies, maybe like a Boeing, where they have lots of ergonomists on staff. But uh, I came from Gulfstream Aerospace. They make the business jets you've seen in the movies and and, shows and things. Uh, But uh, we had about 15,000 employees the time I was there. And at our largest, we had a staff of four ergonomists. 
Um, I'm at CentOS now. Well, we've got about 40,000 employees uh, and we have two of us. So, and these different divisions. So it's a lot. So you literally have to figure out ways to get the frontline partners engaged, get management engaged, get your safety team and everybody in between involved talking and learning and training and doing ergo. So what are the three steps that you use to do that? General Devana? Yes. (laughs) So one of the steps is uh, you've got to grow that army by finding ways to engage them. And you've got to find people who are passionate about, you know, one, helping others uh, and two, learning about ergonomics. And so uh, at every company that I've ever worked at, um, my mission was to find those key movers and shakers all throughout the company that I knew would be uh, great inventors, they might be great door openers that if you got to get access to the C-suite or whatnot, they, you know, they would let you in that way. Um, and so that's, I'd say, step one is you've got to find the key players that will help your program grow. So when you came into CentOS a couple of years ago, do you have a key inventor and a key player that uh, stood out to you? And tell me about him or her and how he or she helped you. Yeah, so I've been lucky in my career to actually find uh, at each company more than just one key individual. Uh, but when I came to CentOS, uh, my my first year out of the gate, we were getting ready. Um, they they already had an ergonomist on staff, Stephen Jenkins, and he was actually promoted up. So then I came in kind of as a backfill, um, and he had done some really great groundwork there. And uh, there were actually two inventors. They were maintenance folks um, out of uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, they created this little uh, cart, which we have to throw a lot of uniforms and things into these carts. So we've got to push around. They can get heavy. Um, But uh, his name is Woody and uh, Woody and Brian. And so they came up with this great little invention that uh, allowed you to hang garments from the cart and you could push it easier. And it was just great little ideas. And so uh, we've actually started an inventors team looking for the Woody's and Brian's out there because they're there's got to be more than two in a you know field of 40,000. Um, and so we have an inventors team now so that every six months we find those key inventors and we groom them and we teach them a little bit about design and whatnot. But uh, these two went off and they won uh, an Ergo Cup. First time out of the gate, we showed up, uh, CentOS showed up with a team at the AEC and they won. And then they came back the next year and they won again. And so they've actually, the same team of two have won three um, Ergo Cup. And I think it's the engineering cup for the uh, um, engineering conference. Yeah. And so you've, you've got these talented people hidden. You just got to go find them. The applied ergonomics conference that we run every year, it comes up in March. Is that a kind of a key thing to, to get people excited that they can you know go to conference, they can show off what they've done and get recognition because you, you've been involved with the Ergo Cup since way back in your time at Gulfstream. Oh, absolutely. We need to give we industry not CentOS, I mean, just industry as a whole has got to find more ways and more avenues to get the other people, meaning not the safety folks, not the ergo people, but everybody else involved in what we do. And so what I love about this conference is that this competition allows the the Woody and Bryans of the world to showcase their great ideas. It gives them a platform that so many frontline uh, employees, they don't have that opportunity to go showcase the great ideas that they've come up with. It's in-house, you know, the company or the department might know about, you know, this guy's a great little inventor, but the world doesn't know about them. 
And so when you tell them, hey, guys, we're going to go out here and you're going to enter. And then, you know, we, we enter their submissions, then they get picked. Now you're on the, the world stage with all these other big name companies. They just come to life. Um, you know, my job and my team's job behind the scenes is to coach them a little bit. But they're on a mission to deliver their message. It's purpose driven. You know, it's not a carrot or a stick. It, it's they did this because they just intrinsically were motivated to get out there and, and do this and help other people. And so I love that that event alone generates so much energy and motivation within the company because they, they, they want to be a part of it. Yeah. They've been doing that for a couple of decades and uh, I'm looking forward. It's always fun to go down Ergo Cup Row and just, just talk to the people and, Every year I've gone to that conference and when I've visited plants that have ergonomic programs, yeah, we're talking to some engineers and we're talking to some human factors people and people who have degrees. But a lot of the people you're talking to, they're the technicians, they're the frontline staff, they're the ones, you know, maneuvering the wheels around, moving the, I'm talking about the big old aircraft wheels that weigh 17 billion pounds, handling the big packages of uniforms, driving the trucks. And they're the ones who, at the end of the day, they say, you know, Mike, I, I used to just be in agony at the end of the day. And now I can go home and I can pick up my little girl and hold her in my arms. Whereas before that, they couldn't. And that quality of life, that gets people believing in their company, that the company actually cares about them and not just the bottom line. Oh, absolutely. And I have to give both the Gulfstream and Cintas credit that they fund the you know, you're, you're pulling a lot of people off the line when they come to this. You know, you've got to uh, send them to the conference, pay for their registration, their, their travel, and then those days off. But I think the return on that investment is just it's 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 huge. One, you're getting these great ideas. Right. And so many of them that I've been a privilege of being a part of have gone on to be patented. And so now we've got something that's really good for the company. But what you've created is this momentum within that team, that department, that that uh, location or facility, and it and it grows and becomes infectious, so that the other you know facilities all over the company are going. Well, why aren't we like the Greensboro team? Well, I want to do that too. And so that natural competition throughout the companies, you know, within team members, et cetera, it grows. And uh, when they see that Ergo doesn't have to be this high dollar highly automated, technical, you know, really hard engineering stuff. It can be simple stuff. The more excited they get to be a part of it. Um, I remember years ago, we actually had won an excellence award. There was a, a gentleman, he was a mechanic um, at the last uh, job I worked at. And uh, he was Vietnamese. He had only traveled from his country to the U.S., he hadn't flown anywhere. So it was actually his first airline flight to go from Savannah to Nashville to compete in the you know, Applied Ergonomics Conference. And uh, what he had invented was actually just a little stick mechanism that uh, inside the airplane, you have to put this, um, whatchamacallit, insulation, like in your house, in your roof, right? Well, the whole fuselage of an airplane is, has to be insulated. So it was Mark's job to push all these buttons into the walls of the you know, plane, so to speak, to hold the insulation. Well, he was about five foot three, and that's kind of short for having to reach the ceiling of the airplane. So long story short, he, he got this little stick. Uh, it was an old broom. He found it in the trash can one day. He, he broke off the handle. So he has this long handle now. He tweaked the bottom so he could put the little buttons. And he, would, he pushed it. And it was called the button pusher. 
Um, and it ended up winning the stick. Uh, yeah, we call it just the stick. It won the Excellence Award of such a simple, literally, a, it was a piece of trash that he modified and found a, a use for. And it helped him with his job. He stayed in his power zone. But the best part was that I didn't have to do any cajoling and you know convincing. He, he saw the benefit. He felt it when he went home. And then the gratitude towards the company that flew him there and gave him that time off to do that. He was the biggest advocate for years. I didn't have to have a marketing department. I had Mark. and He would just go around and tell everybody how great Goldstream was because they did that. That's another thing that really impresses me about a lot of the interventions. This is stuff people are picking up from the garbage. It's just scrap leather. This is scrap metal. These are things they buy from the five and dime and the hardware store. Yes, I mean, a lot of them do use, use high-tech 3D printing and things like that, but that's not every ergonomic intervention. No, not at all. And, you know, and, and uh, sometimes you don't have a large budget. And uh, when I was at Gulfstream, when the, part, the department was in its beginning stages, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and so I partnered actually with a, a colleague of mine. His name was Roger Bowman. He is a sustainability guy. And so he was pushing go green and I was pushing go ergo. And we said, why don't we combine our, 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 our efforts? And we would actually go out to the dumpsters and show people you have all these old pallets of wood, you have foam, you have, you know, from cardboard and some of it's really thick, strong cardboard that you can use. And why not repurpose all of this scrap material instead of paying for it to go to landfill? Let's, let's have a challenge. And so one of the years there, we actually had an internal ergo uh, competition and everything had to be, every invention had to be made from some type of repurposed material. So whether you got it out of the dumpster or you pulled it out of the trash can, you reuse it, you know, however you did it. Uh, we challenge people to, to think small dollar. Like you said, you don't have to go get 3D printing and, and high cost stuff, um, but we can do two initiatives at once. And so I always challenge people, look around your facilities, see what goes out in the trash. And can you not reuse it in some way to make boxes or steps or sticks to help people do their jobs? Is that kind of step two um, or am I stepping on your toes here as far as, uh, you know, you've got your your you're building your army, you're mm -hmm. finding your lieutenants and your people to propagate your message. Is step two kind of convincing the C-suite of the ROI? Absolutely. And, and to me, step two is you've got to speak their language. And I think it's one of the things that all safety professionals can fall in this this hole of. And it's just speaking safety. We talk about OSHA. We talk about potential fines. We talk about compliance. We talk about injury rates. But we fail often to realize that the audience that's listening are general managers, production managers, supervisors. Uh, you know, they, they speak business. And not that safety isn't part of business, but if they're speaking Spanish and we're speaking English, we're going to have a little bit of lost in translation there. So we can speak about safety, but we need to start to frame it in a way that it's not just preventing injuries and helping people not be injured and, and feel better when they go home. What I say is, let's say, for instance, uh, Michael, you and I have a, a moving truck company, right? And we've got to move furniture all day. Well, if you send me in, I'm a five foot four small female, I'm going to have a hard time moving furniture. So I'm going to have to call you. So that's double the labor. Uh, someone's going to have to pay for you and for me to move people's furniture. But if you can give me equipment that can help me do the job by myself, so I don't need to have you help me move a bed or a coffee table, 
that's a productivity, right? It's a labor savings where you can go on a job and I can go on a job and we don't have to be there, right? And so that's talking uh, labor costs. That's business. Um, another is quality. Whenever you see on your line any kind of defects, errors, mistakes, uh, those are often tied with poor ergonomics because people get tired, right? When, when we're working and doing things, there's only so long our body can keep on going without starting to make mistakes. So if we can design the work so that we can maintain the pace or that it's not so mentally or physically demanding that we mess up, now you have a savings in your quality front, okay? Um, another is turnover. People get tired. Uh, if you have physically demanding jobs, it's hard to keep those positions. And so one of the hardest jobs at CentOS is the loading and unloading of the trucks at the end of the day. That's a very physically demanding. And so if you look at your workforce out there and you say, uh, see primarily young uh, males who are kind of tall or big, that should be a red flag that the job demands are too high. If you don't see people that are older or females or smaller stature, again, it's a red flag that you got to be big and strong and young to do this. So that makes your hiring pool really tiny. Um, and that turnover rate, those hard jobs, are that cost you money. So I think safety folks and ergo folks need to start to speak in the language of business so that the business folks doing the operations understand it's not just preventing an injury or OSHA coming in. There's a business advantage if we start to do these ergo initiatives. And that, like you said, you know, how does it tie into the business? Well, sustainability is a big one for companies. It's saving money because we had to pay every time a dump truck came to the landfill to take away those dumpsters. We paid for that. We paid for the material to come in. We paid for it to go out to the landfill. So save yourself some money there. Go greener, right? And uh, start to repurpose them. That's an absolute win, win, win everywhere. Yeah. A win for your limited landfill space, a, a win for the cost of buying the material. You reuse the material. That's a win there. Actually, maybe it's the fourth win because you're creating ergonomic uh, intervention that is helping with your quality and safety. Right. And when you get everybody on board and involved, that engagement piece, the buy-in and the quote culture that we're all trying to create, it creates itself. It just starts to feed up itself, the energy, the, you know, getting people to, can you, you know, you, you make challenges and competitions. Hey, can you guys figure out this problem? You know, can you do it on $500 and can you do it with something that's out of the dumpster? Great. And then you just let them run. You back off, give them some autonomy and let them go wild. And they do. They want to play. They want to have fun. And they solve problems that helps the company. Absolutely. So in the years you've been at CentOS, what's your favorite ergonomic intervention that you've seen? One of the best inventions that I like um, that's come from our CentOS teams was from, again, our, our dynamic duo of Woody and Brian. Um, they work in the rental division. And so they're always around uniforms and uh, you know that part of the business. But we brought them a problem in the fire division. And the problem was simple in that it's just carrying fire extinguishers. But no one had ever really looked at that as a problem of hundreds of fire extinguishers have to be maintained. So taken out of the store, brought back. Uh, and you've got to carry them. And I don't know the last time that you've checked your fire extinguisher, but go home today and look at them. Those are the worst, sharpest, shortest, uncomfortable handles like known to man. So if all day you've got to carry these handles that don't fit your hands, they cut into your hands and you've got to carry them. Can you find a better way? So these two actually created a uh, think of an anchor for boat. So it's actually a little hook that you can slide the fire extinguisher handles on and you can just carry this 
looks like a boat anchor um, and it hooks to your pants and you whip it out and carry, pick up the extinguishers without having to bend down and you walk out with them on your fire hook. That actually won the uh, um, engineering cup back, I think it was last year with their little idea. That's cool because, you know, it intersects with Argo in, in various places. First off, you get into your power zone. Yep. And second off, you're not using your hands to... Yeah. Well, lift lift sharp objects, which, you know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life lifting a sharp object every day with a bare hand. Do you? Yeah. No. And they're heavy. Uh, Fire extinguishers, they're 10, 20, 30 plus pounds that they're carrying every day in and out of their trucks. And so it, it gets tedious. And it's like you said, it's very hard on the hands. And again, that's one of those jobs and, and part of the uh the company division that has primarily males in it because it's a physically demanding job. Getting ergonomic interventions uh, interspersed throughout the company, has that helped CentOS broaden its talent pool beyond, you know, 25-year-old, 195-pound males who, you know, can bodybuild and lift 200 pounds? I think so. I think so. Because when you lower the job demands, no matter what company it is and what you're working in, that pool opens up. So, for instance, if I applied to work in that division, I have small hands. I can't carry two, you know, 20 pounders on both sides. I just can't. But if I can use that little hook, I can. And I know because I tested it. I'm like, oh, this is, I can do this. I can pick this up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it absolutely opens the pool. And, and that's the thing too, is that the the older workforce, so our bodies, you know, unfortunately due to age, it's after about 40, you know, starts to go downhill <laughs> from your eyes to your grip strength. So your back hurting. Uh, you know, it's just part of life, right? But that's also the age range of the talent. If you've had people at a job, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and when they hit their 40s and 50s, you lose that knowledge out the door when people have to retire early because their bodies give out. So if you can retain that, that corporate knowledge and the job task knowledge by helping them physically do the jobs, it's a win-win. They don't have to retire out early. The company doesn't lose that knowledge. And it, it's just, it's good all around. And if they're healthy, their, you know, workers' compensation costs go down Absolutely. as well. And you maintain that institutional knowledge. You keep that worker. That worker is happy. That worker is healthy. That worker praises you to the moon because the company's taking care of them. And like you say, everybody wins. Right. Absolutely. So what's step three on the agenda for getting this stuff all the way out there throughout the company? Yeah. So step three, I like to say, go after base hits using baseball analogy. You do not need home runs to have a great ergo program. Just get on base, right? Because how do you win? You win by getting, is it home runs or runs? Just runs. So you just got to get around the bases, right? And so if you can get on a base hit, and to me, a base hit is something that's easy, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You can implement it pretty fast. Uh, and you just do that again and again and again. That's how you're going to win. That's how you're going to create a culture of ergo, bring down those injury rates, improve your, you know, the line of that efficiency and productivity, like I talked about, and quality aspects. Uh, but yeah, so so to me, when I tell people at CentOS, get a base hit, it's really something under 500 bucks that you can implement quickly. It's not something hard. It could be off the shelf or it could be like that stick out of the garbage. Just something that helps, even if it just seems like a little minute fix of a job. If you've improved it 20%, then it's 20% better. You don't need a home run 100% fix every time. 20% is 20% better. And in that spirit of continuous improvement, if every year we improve it 
5%. Well, in a few years, we've improved it 50%. That's a huge win. So go after those base hits and don't get your head so wrapped around the, the technicalities. And is it the force gauge says this, but it's that. And is it red? Is it yellow? Yeah, <laughs> I get it. And at the end of the day, just make it 20% better and we'll all be good. Yeah, we will. As an engineer, you have the power to impact and shape the future of the world. But we know how hard it is to balance life's responsibilities with getting the education necessary to advance your career and make that impact. The engineering programs offered through LSU Online make it easy to learn at a pace and schedule that's convenient for you. Their programs are 100% online, specifically designed to be flexible for working professionals. LSU Online offers multiple engineering degrees and certificates with focuses in industrial, civil, healthcare, petroleum, and transportation. U.S. News ranks LSU Online as one of the best online programs for a master's in engineering. And with flat rate tuition offered to students nationwide, LSU Online's engineering programs are also some of the most affordable programs available. Accelerate your career growth and leave a lasting impact on the world with LSU Online. Get started by visiting online.lsu.edu slash podcast to learn more and receive a code to waive the application fee. So it's getting those base hits and showing the managers and the, the, the factory people and the C-suite and the business and finance people. I'm spending just a little bit of money here and look at the results we're getting. Does that kind of help you generate momentum to go after the really huge projects, the things that might take six months, nine months, a year to implement? Because if you start off, you know, you're working for six months and you don't have anything to show for it versus you've got all these little base hits running around and people can see that this stuff actually makes a difference to the bottom line. Yes, absolutely. Because you're building their trust, right? You don't want to just come in, you know, hat in hand and say, I need some money. I need, I need a quarter of a million dollars to go fix this. Well, you've got to have some, you know, runs behind you to show that I can do this and I can repeat this win again. If you give me a little bit more financial backing, I can do it again. So yes, those, those base hits, it gets the momentum going in that the, the chatter, I should say, at the front line, they start talking and then they tell their managers who tells the general manager who then tells the regional vice president and it moves up. And so they hear about the, the fire hook. They hear about the stick. They hear about the little ergo cart. And then when you come in and say, hey, listen, we really do have a big redesign that we need some backing for. It's much easier to get that financial buy in versus if you start with that one, it's going to be a harder sell. And again, it's you have to put your business hat on and, you know, do the duality of the of the safety. But we're also business folks. And so we've got to talk and think of business persons. So it's like Shark Tank. You just show up and say, hey, I need, you know, a million dollars to help my business. Well, what have you done with what you've got? You know, and so that's where those those wins, um, they, they help you. Because, again, when you only have a small staff like we do of two, I can't get around fast enough to tell the story to everybody. So I rely on these base hits that then, like I said, spread within that location, across that state, up to that vice president. They hear about them. 
So then when Devana comes in asking for money, they've already heard of these other things and they kind of already know. And so that's why you've got to go back to that step one and build the army because they're not just solving your problems. They're free advertising and marketing for you. That's your whole marketing department is the frontline people who say this job used to hurt. But now that I got to implement my new, you know, ergo fix, you know, I feel great. And so that resonates through the whole company. And uh, if I can tell you actually a story, thinking back of last year and COVID and all those crazy times, um, I, th- I think everyone's aware of the hand sanitizer, right? That went through the roof. Everybody had to have hand sanitizer. And so CentOS actually started selling, and, and we did, but not quite at the volume as of last year, hand sanitizer. So whenever you go in and out of grocery stores or wherever, look now and see if it says CentOS on that hand sanitizer stand. Well, the end of last year, the demand was so high that we were making thousands of these things. And so we actually had, a, we call them partners on employees. So we had a partner out in Fresno, California, a maintenance guy. Uh, someone came to him and said, we're building these stands and there's a base plate that's heavy. And then you got this, you know, the long neck of it and you got to build these things and, and they, they're heavy. And if it falls, it can land on your foot. So his name was Mike. He created a little jig on how to build these hand sanitizers for the you know COVID times that we're living in. And uh, long story short, he made this great little invention. It helped from an ergo standpoint, got you back into your power zone and it had a 30% uh, uh, time reduction. So you could actually build these things faster because it was in your power zone and we could turn them out quicker. And so I just love that that's our, our COVID story, our ergo story, that uh, those hand sanitizers, look at them again. When you when you walk into the grocery stores, I almost guarantee that Centos will be there, the hand sanitizer stand. I'll definitely do that. You know, that's uh, that's interesting. 30%, that's a big intervention. That's, that's a big increase in throughput. And I know that there are managers out there who will spend millions of dollars on a new piece of equipment if they're promised, hey, you can increase throughput 30%. But this is just a guy out in Fresno, California with Mike, great name, by the way, who who did that for a whole lot less than a million dollar piece of equipment. That's right. A simple fix. And so what was the return? Well, he's on our inventors team now. We've got the scouts out there looking and every few months and said, did you guys find somebody you find? And so this, this guy's great. He's coming on the team. So at Centos, you've got an inventors teams. Is that kind of analogous to the ergo councils that you had back at Gulfstream? So at Gulfstream, the difference was that um, the businesses themselves are very different. And so Gulfstream had the advantage of having industrial engineers everywhere. The whole place was packed with them. Centos, is the, we don't have that. It's designed differently. Um, but we have a ton of maintenance partners who do you know, maintenance of the facilities and of the lines and that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't have with Centos what I had at Gulfstream with these teams. And so at Gulfstream, we created uh, what we would call a core team where they were actually key industrial engineers who were in the business and they saw the hiccups and the problems so they would meet with uh, myself and my team. We would give them a little training. Then they would give us a little bit of, hey, here's some problems. And then we would start to benchmark each other internally. And that's another thing I don't see a lot of companies do is benchmark either internally or externally. So we would create like a little group of us and we would go, I call it scavenger hunt. So I'd make little laminated cards and I'd put a few like, you know, ergo no-nos. Can you find this? And so you would bring in this set of eyes that were not familiar with the area that they were looking at. So it kind of was like a fresh set of just looking at, you know, something that you and I were used to looking at. They weren't. And they would find all kinds of opportunities of things to go after and fix. 
So now we've connected engineers that didn't know each other. So now they had someone to talk to. We now gave them basically free internal consulting of, hey, here's some opportunities. Um, and so that's more what we did at Gulfstream. So, but we also had an inventors team there as well. Um, but at CentOS, we're doing more of the, um, the inventors team. And then CentOS is a great safety uh, department. And so we actually train them to be more of our ergo core team where they train, they bring back problems. Um, so you have to change it up a little bit based on how your business is designed. So CentOS, how do you disseminate the basic ergonomics knowledge throughout the company? You know, this is your power zone, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I've created two uh, little training programs in Ergo 101 and 102. 101 is identifying problems. Um, and let me just throw this out there. When, when we train people, I, I think in general, and it's not just a safety thing, we throw the book at people. Think about the times when you've been trained, whether it's on an HR program, an IT system or whatever. You probably remember about two things and that's it. So keep it really tight, your training. Keep it short and sweet. And if you said, if there's one thing I want them to know when they walk away, then that should be the one thing that you focus on. And so I just hammer home the power zone. Really, that's really much how, how much I teach. There's like no more than 20 slides, by the way, in any of my training. Mm -hmm. And so we just teach them, look for that power zone. Anything out of the power zone, go after that. So in your mind, a two or three or four or five minute video beats shutting the company down and bringing everybody in for, you know, all day ergonomics training. Absolutely. So I was challenged years ago uh, when I was at Gulfstream and you will always find a certain director or somebody that's going to challenge you and let you know that we do not have time for your stuff. And so uh, he became a friend of mine. So his name was Joe. He was a director. And uh, I remember coming in and said, hey, listen, Joe, I got this Virgo training and I need at least an hour or two. And, and uh, you know, it'll be great. And he just looked at me and he said, no, I don't have that kind of time. We got to make airplanes. I don't have time for that stuff. So what do you mean? It's, it's the safety of your people. It's, you know, we're going to make them happy. They can, you know, their hands won't hurt. And he's, yeah, I know, I know. I got to build airplanes. So I was like, oh, all right. And so I said, well, well, how much time do you have? And he goes, 10 minutes. And he starts laughing. I'm like, what? A, all right, fine. So I went back to my office, was fuming like 10 minutes. What is he, th you know, what kind of guy is this? And then I thought, all right, you know what? I'll challenge you. I'm going to make it two minutes. And so the two minute ergo of which, by the way, if you go on YouTube, uh, we have a whole bunch of them from from Gulfstream. But it actually came from kind of a banter between Joe and I, who ended up becoming our biggest advocate of ergo, by the way. Um, and I and I met him where he was at. He said, I don't have time for that. And, and I think they're honest when they say we don't have time for all this training. So if you can nail those concepts and bite-sized training pieces, so whether they're videos, uh, you know, a series of educational little training on demands, um, or even just show up and teach one concept like the power zone, I think often that's more impactful than these long, arduous half-day trainings and, you know, spend thousands and thousands for some fancy consultant or someone to come in. Just keep it short and sweet. And so we actually posted those videos. Um, Gulfstream allowed us to do that. So they're still out there. If you, you know, just Google Gulfstream ergonomics, the two minute video uh, ergo video series. And it's really meant to focus on one concept and you learn it and it's silly and it's cute and it's short and people loved it. And it still to this day has thousands of, uh, of views on it. So I'm all an advocate for short and sweet. Speaking of short and sweet, if you could get maybe top three ergonomics concepts that you would like 
everybody from the front line of the C-suite know? Power Zones, obviously one. Yeah, so Power Zones, one. That's going to be your biggest one. Um, I would say here's the other two simple ones. Handles. By golly, use more handles or handhold. So a handhold is where you slide your hands into something. Um, so like flat screen TVs and stuff nowadays, there might be a little groove where you can slide your hand in or a, or a box, you know, has those cutouts. That's a handhold. Handle is something that sticks out and you can grab onto. Where people put their hands is crucial and how they have to hold things. So if they're pinching with their thumb and their first two fingers, that's hard. That's a pinch grip. That's used for brushing your teeth. You don't want to carry fire extinguishers like you brush your teeth. Okay. Get a better handle on things. So that's step one. And the second thing is use wheels. I got only put wheels on things. Remember back in the day when we had suitcases that didn't have wheels or you only had like two wheels and you dragging and you're lifting and carrying everything. Put wheels on everything from chairs to tables to whatever you've got to move around. Put wheels on them. Um, I saw a great invention years ago out of Gulfstream. You know, the tables that are used uh, for schools, you know, just regular long school tables or you see mm -hmm. them set up and like, you know, whatever, cafeterias and stuff. Well, they actually cut out a little on the edge, a handhold, and then they put two wheels on the bottom because they had to fold them up after they got done working on them. So they wheeled the table away and they held it with a little handhold cutout. I was like, this is a great idea, handles and wheels. But wherever people have to touch and if they've got to pull something and lifting is often the number one issue in companies because of, you know, backs and shoulders, then go after those two things with handles and wheels and keep it in the power zone. Didn't you tell me once that the wheel was the greatest earnings convention <laughs> in the history of humankind? Or are you just being a little snarky? No, I think it's great. And it's so underused. I just see people dragging and lugging things all the time. Like, why? This is a great caveman solution that my goodness, if, it's, <laughs> if it worked for them, it should work for us still. So yeah, let's, let's use it more. Caveman can do it. We can too. That's right. We overthink things too much, way too much. So what's the number one ergonomic issue that you have at CentOS that kind of shows up repeatedly? That's almost kind of the whack-a-mole that uh, you have to repeatedly go after to fix. Uh, it would be lifting. Yeah. And again, it's it's not just a CentOS thing. It's it's usually the most common one in, across, you know, all industries because you're pivoting around the hips and you're bending to the ground and you're reaching over your head. That low back takes a pounding. Um, and so, again, those handles and wheels and designing the work for where the hands are. So look at people working where are their hands that that's where the work zone should be. Um, and so uh, we're, we're working on that, just, just still getting the message of handles and wheels on anything that people have to push, pull or carry because it'll be easier on your backs. So we've talked a lot about you know, talking to people on the front line. There are those technical people who are whiz bangs at coming up with fancy interventions who, who might not be the best at actually talking to the guy and the gal on the front line. Is there a place in the ergo world for them? And if so, how do you fit them into the equation so you can use their skills? Oh, I love that. I think there's a place for everybody. You've got natural sellers out there who are good talkers. Those are your marketing agents. So you, you know the talkers, but they're the ones that you want to arm with the information about the program, about initiatives, because then they go and kind of blah, 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 let everybody know about it. Then you've got um, the folks that you've talked about. They're more quiet. They're more focused on solving problems. They enjoy that. You need that skill set. So whether it's analyzing the job to determine really where is the problem, because sometimes in the more complicated ergo situations, 
it's more hidden. And so you need someone who has that eye who can uh, see those little nuances. Um, but, but you need them with the problem solving. And so the inventors teams that I've worked on are not often the sellers. They're not, out, they're not the chatty Cathy's telling the world about this stuff. They're just in there tinkering in their workbench and figuring things out. And so create a space for them. So whether it's an inventor's team or it's a one-on-one mentoring of you spending time with them. Yeah, I get we're all busy. But if you can groom one or two people a year, just with a little bit of knowledge to help go do these things, they will just be, again, intrinsically motivated to solve problems since they tend to be that way already. They like doing that stuff. Just give them a few design concepts and how to how to you know build and they'll run with it. But, but you need them to help actually solve the problems. And so, like I said, on all my teams, I don't have the same type of people. I got to have people who can sell and market. I've got to have people who love to train and connect with people. Some folks just don't like going up to people on the front line and talking to them. It's awkward. It's weird. They just so don't put them in that. Find the people who like to do that and put them in that. Find the tinkerers and the problem solvers and, and put them over there and let them work alone or together. But everyone has a place and it's everyone's skills are necessary to get the program moving and growing. And again, to build that culture of ergonomics across the whole place. So you've got a place for the mad scientists. Yep. You've got a place for the frontline workers and you've got a place for the people who can go in between. That's right. So sitting at the top of this army led by General Devana, (laughs) how do you decide where to go? Are y'all still looking at, uh, you know, chasing injuries? And once you find an injury, that's where you go target your interventions. Are you trying to find other ways of using statistics to figure out where to put interventions before the injuries get there? Oh, that's a good question. So I think you start out chasing injuries and that's okay. You have to start somewhere and knowing what your injury rates are is your baseline. It's, it's your start here in the game of monopoly, right? This is where we go. Here's go. But you do have to grow and progress from there. And so that's the transactional, right? Safety program. The transformational is now when you start to start there, but now we have a few teams going. Now we start to see the teams churning out ideas and getting results. And yes, you at some point have to look at metrics other than injury rates to determine uh, where do we go and, and what do we chase? And I highly stress, if you don't know where to look, look at your overtime, look at your turnover rates, and look at your quality issues. Those are the three silent, hidden, but glaring uh, indicators that you have an ergo problem. So sometimes injuries don't pop up, but we have so much turnover in a certain area and HR can't seem to keep those jobs populated. Go look there. That's a red flag. And again, that's a business that's con- you know, directly tied to the business uh, if we don't have enough people working. The productivity part, if something is so hard that we're running overtime, or we are uh, requiring additional labor, again, business metric. So go look at your hours. And then finally, that quality piece of we mess up. It's just a human thing where we can only be vigilant for so long. And the body and the mind just starts to just doesn't do as well. So when we see mistakes, focus there and see, is there something that we can tweak to make it easier on the person doing the job? So again, directly tied to the business, but those are the things that I see people, they don't, They don't look at those unless they have a more advanced program. So start with the injuries, get those teams moving, and then look at those metrics, like you said, that are going to tell you, hey, this is this is a bigger business thing. And that's going to start to move you in the transformational type of safety program. That makes so much sense, because if you've got people running away from the job and you can't keep it filled, 
that's an obvious clue that there's something wrong with that job design. And particularly, you know, if you've got a bunch of delivery people who are there, 25 to 32 year old men mm-hmm. who are, you know, strapping bodybuilders who can lift things. And if they don't want to do it, you've really got a problem there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and COVID has tested. You've seen the supply chain. You see companies get tested and, and a lot of these hard jobs and people are sick. One person going out has a massive impact on the rest. That that's unfortunately the stress test of when you know. Hopefully, this we won't have to go through another pandemic in our life uh, our lifetime. But it tested companies and businesses on those weak points. And so, hiring and losing key people, if your whole operation goes down because you lost one or two folks, you might want to look again at those jobs. Well, I've run out of questions. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I have, but. You know, what are things that I should have asked about this that I haven't asked? I think, okay, so here, I'll give you two cents. Okay. One of the keys, I think, for my personal success in the companies and the teams that I've worked with that we've all been successful together is that we have made, purposefully made ergonomics fun. Too often, I think companies get a little too serious about their initiatives. And, and, and I don't mean to negate its importance, but if you can make things fun, if you can make the appearance of this being a positive, good, enjoyable, uh, a lighthearted thing versus a very heavy handed and injuries and rah, 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 it's too heavy. But if you make it, hey, we're having a competition. Hey, who can fix this problem? People are drawn to fun. They're drawn to engaging into things like a Sudoku and crossword puzzles, right? Watching Netflix because it's fun. And too often our training and our programs lack that key element of enjoyment that people are drawn to. They're looking for that in their jobs. So, you know, when you do other initiatives like Ergo, I realize these folks have day jobs. They've got, you know, quotas to meet and things to do. And this is another thing I'm asking of them. But if I can make it fun and engaging, where if you do this, you get to go to a conference or you do that, you get a little award. Or if you do this, you get to be a part of a a cool team. People love that. And so I think if any words of wisdom I can share is, is put the element of fun in things and people will be drawn to it. Are you trying to tell me, Devana Pilchik, that people do not want to go to work every day and be absolutely miserable? I don't think they do. <laughs> I, for some reason, really think they want to have a good time. <laughs> so set it up for them to have a good time. And, you know, you've been there, but uh, everywhere I've worked, I've done over 10 years now of ergo competitions. And it's not just a competition where it's like a science fair and you see my invention and it's better than yours. Oh, okay, that's cool. But we spice it up. We bring in popsicles, popcorn, candy. You know, we've got, you know, cool things going on so that it's the enjoyment piece. And the thing is, if you make it enjoyable, people will remember it, they'll praise it. And now you have all these free marketing agents out there saying how awesome your program is. And it's really because you just gave them a bag of popcorn. They don't even know that part. But they just bought into it. So make it fun and and have popcorn. Yeah, I remember the popcorn machine. <laughs> I remember the popcorn machine at the uh at the Gulfstream internal ergonomics cup competition. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And I remember just walking down there and 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 people just they loved it. They just loved everything about it. So do you have a popcorn machine at Centos? Of course. <laughs> And every year I get yelled at by the uh, by the uh, cleaning crews because they're like, there's popcorn in the carpet. And so they don't enjoy that. part. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you got to have, you know, and it's funny that food and smells that it, it connects with memory and people remember things that taste and smell and they connect it to your event. And 
Oh yeah. Now I'm getting real psychologically on you here. All fancy, but, uh, but yeah, make it fun. Make, bring in other stuff. I mean, shoot, have a band if you can, but just make it enjoyable. Now that might be an interesting Ergo Cup competition with a band. And Definitely have to write some new lyrics to all the love songs you hear on the pop stations. But, That's um, right. In a dance floor. In a dance floor. There you go. But I have had cornhole before and games outside. So I'm not kidding. You got to make it enjoyable. Well, Devana, we appreciate your time very much. You're doing wonderful things down there at CentOS like you did at Gulfstream beforehand. And uh, keep propagating the knowledge. And we appreciate you visiting Problem Solved. Ah, you bet. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, a production of the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers in Metro Atlanta. This podcast is produced by David Brandt, Keith Albertson, and Michael Hughes, and edited by David Brandt. You can listen to all episodes of Problem Solved and learn about sponsorship opportunities by visiting our website, podcast.iise.org. You can also learn more about IISE at the Institute's website, www.iise.org.